Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Hi there, and welcome back to today's episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help people like you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. This is your first episode. Welcome. Super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. You are absolutely what makes this show possible. And whether you are a new friend or an old friend, today you and I are in for a treat because we get to hang out with John Rulin. John Rulin is the world's leading authority in maximizing customer loyalty through radical generosity. He is the founder and author of Giftology and has been featured in Fox News, Forbes, Fast Company, Inc., and the New York Times while becoming the number one performer out of 1.5 million sales reps in one of the world's most recognizable brands. John developed a system of using generosity to gain access to elite clients and generate thousands of referrals. He and his firm now help automate this process for individuals and organizations like like UBS, Raymond James, Dr. Horton, Keller Williams, the Chicago Cubs, and Caesars Palace. John and the Giftology team can help any individual turn their clients into their own personal sales force to drive exponential growth. And in this episode, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how John proposed to his wife. And as a teaser, it has to do with him transforming himself into an 85-year-old man, the notebook, and almost dying. (laughs) Number two, the elements you should look for when giving gifts. Pay close attention to this, especially his tips on including the inner circle, buying best in class, and making it practical. John's literally made billionaires cry from his gifts, and he shares some of his best secrets to giving incredible gifts to build lifelong relationships. And number three, why gift timing is so important and why you're absolutely not getting the best results if you're what he calls an ABC gifter, which is sending gifts for anniversaries, birthdays, or Christmas. And before we dive into all that goodness, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Colin Jewett, who left a review saying, if you're looking to challenge your perspective, expand your vision and level up in business, in life, you are in the right place. Brandon and his all-star guest lineup are setting the bar for podcasts. I won't be missing an episode. So thank you so much, Colin Jewett, for leaving that review. Absolutely made my day. And it is absolutely my pleasure to bring you these all-star guests so that we can all hang out together and their wisdom can be shared with you. So Thank you so much, Colin, for leaving that review, and please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, John Rulin. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today, we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. John, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. So, okay, let's let's dive right into a meat of it. So I've, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever been asked this on a podcast before. So let's just let's just give it a shot. So By the way. Uh, I know you before before we hopped on and started recording, you were talking about this chaos with uh, four beautiful daughters that you have in your life. And on another podcast that you had done, you had talked about uh, how one of your daughters, when she was four, how she described what you did, what you did. So I would love for you to share with everyone what your four-year-old daughter said that their, her daddy did. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when you're working, all of our employees are remote. Uh, and so like, I, 
you know, I work out of my house, but like, it's, you know, you always wonder like, what are your kids picking up on what you do when they're young? Like, does that work at a coffee shop? Does that work on an airplane? Like, what does he really do? And I said, dad, what do you think dad does for a living? My daughter, Reagan, this was, she's 10 now. So this is six years ago. And she's like, she thought for a second, she looked at me, she's like, dad, you help people love on people. And uh, I was like, man, if I can put that on my gravestone, like, you know, from a legacy perspective, from a faith perspective, from a multi-generational, if that's what my daughters are picking up, you know, I got four now that are 10, eight, five and 18 months. I'm like, I, then I, hopefully I lived a, a life worth living. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And so the rest of this interview, that's my goal is we're going to unpack on how John helps people love on people. <laughs> so I thought that a really fun place to start. And, and I know this is kind of a long and intensive story. So however you want to take it, but I think this would be a great place to show how much you care about creating incredible experiences for people. And I would love for you to share the story about how you proposed to your wife, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> wow, you're going to go real deep on us. So, I mean, the story could be 30 minutes long and I don't want to take up half the podcast with one story. But what I would say to put a little context is that I was a horrible boyfriend. I was a horrible, like, and part of the reason was I almost went bankrupt. So, you know, during 2008, 2007, like that whole meltdown financially, I almost lost the business. And part of the reason wasn't that our sales were bad. It was that I had an assistant who was my CPA, you know, stole, had all these things that went sideways, real estate, other things outside of my business. Um, and then I went through an IRS audit because I wasn't paying attention to the numbers of my CPA. So the 18 months that my wife, that my now wife and I were dating, she had quit her job, went to Nicaragua for a mission trip um, and moved to Ohio. And I'm like the worst boyfriend on the planet. Cause I was barely keeping my lips above water from going bankrupt. And so I decided I wanted my, you know, being the gift, you know, the, you know, the wow, shock and all crazy, you know, sending saunas to people and Brooks brothers, whatever else I wanted my engagement to be better than anything. And I wanted to be on Oprah someday. Like that was the caliber of level that I wanted to go for. And so I, I was like, I'm broke as a joke at the time. Like I was literally living on a thousand dollars a month take home. My business partner who bought half the company, didn't take a draw for two years. So I didn't have any money. And I almost didn't propose because of that. And so the bottom line is I wanted to recreate the movie, The Notebook. I'm a hopeless romantic, my wife and I. So we're going to recreate this movie. So I start dreaming up the craziest ideas I could think of. And so I had a leather bound journal. I hired my brother who had just graduated from film school. And we were going to recreate the movie. Um, and what was supposed to happen was I was going to fly into from Cleveland where I was living. She had moved back to St. Louis because we were like relationship was on the rocks and she couldn't get a job in Ohio. And it was over Valentine's day weekend. And I was going to fly into, to, uh, the airport and I was going to recreate myself to look like, if you've never seen the movie, the notebook, James Gardner is the guy, he's like 90 years old. He's telling this whole story, this love story of like, when he was younger, he looked like Ryan Gosling. And it was like, you know, this crazy love story. And so I was going to look like a 90 year old guy. I was going to be on the plane, essentially sitting next to my girlfriend. She wouldn't realize it was me because I looked like I was 90. False teeth, glasses, <laughs> you know, like I gained 100 pounds, like latex makeup, false teeth, you name it. And the goal was that she would get this notebook delivered to her at the airport by my brother, like it got lost in the mail, and she'd start reading it and would talk about our stories, like 90 pages long of our story together, details. And at the end, it was timed out to where she would read it and talk about growing old together, and I would start describing the person that was sitting next to her so she'd realize at 30,000 feet in the air on the plane that it wasn't an old dude sitting next to her, it was actually me. And then the ring was hidden in the back, Shawshank Redemption style. And I could propose, land, and our 200 closest friends were waiting at a restaurant to celebrate at my cousin's restaurant, like five-star place. And her family had driven nine hours waiting in a stretch home or limo with my family to like, you know, pick us up from the airport. That was what was supposed to happen. But, when, but you know, the long and the short of it is the day I fly into the airport, um, yeah, I get transformed into a 90-year-old man in, the, in the, uh, the bathroom stall. I go to get on the plane. I collapse. And uh, my brother thinks I'm just playing like this old man falling. I can't get up. But when they turned me over, I was unconscious. There's blood everywhere. And um, they called 911. Pilot gets off, sees a guy in the sky. Or sees a guy on the floor. It looks like he's 90, unconscious. They think I'm having a heart attack. So they start pulling the clothes, cutting the clothes off. They put the defibrillator on. Says to shock me. So they're shocking me. 
Now, my girlfriend is watching all this happen and she realized it's not a 90 year old dude. It's me. It's her boyfriend who's unconscious being shocked. They can't stabilize me. Meanwhile, FBI shows up because there's a guy in the skies getting on an airplane. They, they can't stabilize <laughs> me. They put me into an ambulance. She's not even sure if I'm alive or not. She gets in the back of a cop car to follow the because they, they won't let her in the ambulance. And she's not even sure if I'm alive. And the cop says, tells her I was going to propose. So she goes to the hospital, like holding my hand. I'm in the ICU on a breathing machine um, all through the night. Next morning, I wake up. And uh, I think it's the craziest, funniest story ever. She thinks it's the worst story. She has like, she's like PTSD. And uh, so the doctor comes in, is like, Tom, what did you like? Tell me about your diet. Like, what have you been doing? Like anything unusual? And I'm like, oh, I went on this crazy cleanse for six weeks. I do it every year, something different. It's like, that's fine. But what did you eat and drink yesterday? I'm like, I didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything. And he's like, you had a low blood sugar seizure. They got misdiagnosed by the machine. You should have died when you got shocked. And so, uh, so I thought it was the most amazing story ever. It's like Romeo and Juliet, but I didn't die. And my girlfriend thinks I'm the biggest fool. Like it's like her worst nightmare come to life. So the moral of the story, the reason I tell the story in the book in really detail is, you know, for four years, we fought over this as a married couple, because I thought it was the most romantic story ever. And Lindsay, it was her biggest nightmare ever. And we'd fight like cats and dogs over. I'd be like, you don't appreciate me. I almost died for you. And she'd be like, you're the biggest idiot and selfish SOB. Like, I hate that day. And uh, a mentor four years into marriage asked me, what's Lindsay's perfect day? And I'm like, gosh, she would, for her birthday, she wants to know six months in advance what we're going to do, what she should wear. And he asked me this question. Does she, does, does Lindsay like surprises? And when he asked me that question, it was like, my brain exploded. Somebody punched me in the face and in the gut at the same time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I made the entire, entire engagement about what I wanted, not about what Lindsay wanted. And a gift, when you're building relationships, whether it's a client, a spouse, an employee, a gift isn't about you, the giver. The gift is about the recipient. It's about the person you're giving it to and what they want. And most people do the exact opposite. They give gifts the way they like them, their company colors, their anniversary, they get, it's like the guy who gives the wife a four-wheeler or a lawnmower, and she doesn't like either one of those things. That, the gift was for the dude. I did that for my wife as the giftologist. It was the, I, I realized I was the biggest idiot and the worst gift giver on the planet. As in, I'm the giftologist. And so I've apologized literally a thousand times to my now wife of you know, four beautiful daughters because I learned the lesson almost to the point of death of what not to do. Yeah. Okay. So you learned that lesson the hard way. And I wanted you to tell that because that's just, I, when I read this, I'm like, this can't be real. Like this literally can't be real. It's the most hilarious thing I've ever <laughs> heard of. It's so, crazy. Thing, I mean, dude, it, there's so many details. It's, it's nuts. I mean, it's, it, uh, but it, it perfectly exemplifies what yeah. not, what not to do. Yeah. So, okay. So we've talked about what not to do. So let's, let's segue into a story of what to do. So would you mind telling the story about how you ended up working with Cameron Harold? Yeah. So long and short is Cameron Harold's written five books, coaches, CEOs all over the world. I heard him speak at an EO conference. When I heard him, I was like, I want him to be not just a client. I want to be his friend. I want him to be a mentor and advisor. And I can't afford his $20,000 a month coaching. So I invited him like most people do. I invited him to dinner and a ball game. I had, he was coming to Cleveland to speak. I had lower level cab seats, LeBron's in town. I'm like, I'm going to do this dinner and a ball game and we'll be brothers by the end of it. And his response was the worst response ever. He's like, I guess I don't have anything else going on. I guess I'll go to your game. And, and, and internally, I immediately realized in business, sales reps, CEOs, what do we do? We take people to dinner, ball games, rounds of golf, cigars, wine. It's the same playbook. Everybody does the same stupid stuff. And we think it's amazing, but it's table stakes. Nobody's like, oh my gosh, you bought me drinks. Oh my gosh, you took me golfing. It's the same stupid stuff. Cameron's thinking the same thing. So I'm like, I got to do something different. And so I said, when you're in town, Cameron, what else are you going to do? And he said, actually, I'm going to go shopping because I'm from Canada and there's stores here that aren't in Canada. And the dollar's really weak at the time. And I'm going to go shopping. I said, Where? I'm thinking, this is my angle. Where at? And he said, Brooks Brothers. So on the spot, I'm like, I'm a Jose Bang guy. What's your shirt size? I want to send you a shirt. And he, he looks at me like a little bewildered, like, does this guy have a man crush on me? Who asked their shirt? <laughs> Who asked another man within two minutes of meeting what your shirt size is? But he told me. And we go about the day. 
And uh, so I call my partner, I'm like, Rod, we got to do this thing. Now, Rod owns half the company. He's the CFO. And um, he's like, dude, that's the dumbest idea ever. That's like an entire month's worth of budget on one person. And I said, yeah, you're right. So three months go by, Cameron's flying in. He starts texting me, my flight's delayed. Do you just want to cancel? I'm like, he's trying to get out of the dinner and the ball game. He could give two rips about either one of them. And so I said, no, whenever Cameron, you get in town, that's okay. We'll just go for drinks. And he said, okay, fine. So I call my partner back. I'm like, Rob, we got to do this thing. And he's like, do you believe it enough that if it doesn't work, it comes out of your personal draw? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, I think it's a stupid idea, but go for it. So I go to Brooks Brothers. I said, I want one of everything in your new fall collection, all your jackets, suits, belts, pants, shoes, everything. They think I'm joking. I'm like, no, I want it all. We ring it. It's, I'm hoping my credit card goes through my Amex because it's over $7,000 in clothes. We go outfit the Ritz-Carlton Hotel to look like a Brooks Brothers store. And I'm, I'm not a big drinker, but I'm drinking like a triple on the rocks down in the lobby because I'm so <laughs> nervous. And uh, Cameron gets in. You can tell he doesn't want to go to dinner. He wants to go to bed. I said, Cameron, go t- you know, take a shower, t- drop your bags off, come down when you're ever ready. And he comes down and his eyes are like the size of silver dollars. He said, John, whatever you, whatever you want to talk about for as long as you want to talk about it, I've never had anybody that's treated me this way. Um, and... People are like, John, that's crazy. And I said, what's well, even crazier is the next 10 years, I continued to gift them to the tune of over $25,000, $12,000 worth of knives. You name the thing, I sent it to them. Never asked for anything. People are like, dude, why did you keep doing that? I'm like, when you show up for people because you want to, not because you have to, here's what I, everybody measures ROI. I'm like, that's lame. Measure ROR, uh, return on relationship. That $25,000 has turned into seven figures. Show me a part in your business where you can get a 50X, a true 50X a, a ROI. Nowhere. No Facebook ad. Like when you pour into a relationship in a person, like if I wanted to hire Cameron as a sales rep for one year, I could offer him $2 million and he'd say no. But because I loved on the relationship, I inspired him to go want to sell on my behalf. And he sends every client he has my direction. Every speaking gig, the reason we're up to almost six figures for international speaking gigs is because when I was begging to speak for free, Cameron would get double booked and say, you got to book John Rulin. And I, my first 10, 20, $30,000 speaking gigs came from Cameron because he became my sales rep, not because I bribed him, not because I paid him, but because I loved on him and inspired him. And if you want, if, if anybody wants that level of referrals and deal flow, you go inspire. You don't give a gift after referral. You inspire referrals to happen. And that's the difference of what we're teaching. Mm-hmm. Love that. And so I want to see how much we can squeak in for packing in the gift giftology methodology. I guess you know, that's kind of redundant to say giftology methodology, just say giftology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to go through as much of that as possible. But there's one last kind of setup story before we kind of go into some of the steps that I think is kind of crucial because we kind of skipped over and talked about some of the earlier stories that I think were really relevant for setting up. But earlier on, you developed all these things because of a guy named Paul Miller. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about Paul Miller's mentorship and how that applied to you actually starting Giftology and creating this movement that you've created? Yeah, well, dude, I grew up on a farm milking goats. So I didn't grow up around wealth, country clubs, affluence, pro sports teams. Like I grew up like hoeing corn and bailing hay in the summer and milking goats. Like I'm one of six kids. <laughs> for, so I was, I wanted to get out of Dodge. My town was 317 people growing up. I wanted to go be a doctor to make money. I got good grades, got straight A's all the way through school, K through 12. because so I hated manual labor. And so I go to med, I'm undergrad for med school and I meet Paul because it was my girlfriend's dad. And he was this rainmaking attorney. And what's interesting about Paul is, you know, when you grow up poor, you notice when people are generous and Paul was always giving things away. Everybody says they play the long game. Paul was playing the long game and true. Like Vaynerchuk and I had a recent conversation on his show and he was asking about things. And I said, you know, most people play the long game in days. The long game is decades. And Paul was always doing things for people, no strings attached. And it would come back to him like 20 years later. So when I saw him doing these things, I went and interned uh, with Cutco out of desperation to pay for med school. And I pitched Paul. Now, Cutco, I had no idea what Cutco was. I didn't know there was 2 million sales guys that sold Cutco over 70 years, all that stuff. But I pitched him the Cutco pocket knives that are like a hundred bucks each to give to all of his clients who are dudes that are running financial advisor firms, insurance companies, because they're into hunting, fishing outdoors. And Paul changed my life forever. He's like, I don't want to order the pocket knives, but I would like to order a hundred of those like $200 piece pairing knives. 
I'm like, you want to give a bunch of CEO dudes a kitchen tool? Why? I'm 20 at the time. This is 21 years ago. And uh, Paul's like, the reason I have more referrals, deal flow access, is I found out a simple truth in business 35 years ago when I started the firm. And that's if you take care of the family and business, everything else seems to take care of itself. So that was the lightning bolt moment when I understood it wasn't about the stupid knives. Although to this day, we still sell on the gifting agency side where we do gifting for a client. We sell millions of dollars on knives. The knife was, I, I started to understand the knife for Paul was the delivery vehicle for an emotion. It was the ability to understand care and attention to detail and taking care of what we call the inner circle and all this stuff. So Paul was my original mentor that really took me out of understanding like transactional things to true relationship building. And a lot of what I talk about in the book, like our whole formula, our blueprint of whether we're working with, like we have a lot of our clients, it's cool to point to the Cubs. It's cool to point to Google or whatever else. A lot of our clients are 1 million to $100 million companies. They're not publicly traded, you know, fortune, you know, $2.7 billion companies. We have them. But our sweet spot is small companies that are playing, you know, it's the $2 million company playing against the $2 billion company because they don't have unlimited budgets. And Paul showed me that you don't have to have unlimited budgets to win in relationships. You have to be more thoughtful, more creative, more engaging, more follow through. The handwritten note matters. Like all these little things that you can't really automate very well are how you play against the, you know, the 800 pound gorillas. Yeah. I love that. And I, it was funny how you ended up, we ended up getting connected because I was geeking out on Giftology and I mentioned it in this call with Kevin Thompson, another guest that's been on the show. And he's like, oh, like, I know, John, I'll just send you an intro. I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. But part of the, re- I don't know, this is just so serendipitous how this all happened. But I was interviewing John Broman, who I know is one of your good friends. Um, and I yeah, was reading he's in Giftology. my wedding. Yeah, he's in your wedding. There you go. So I was, I was um, going through, I was interviewing him at the same time I was reading Giftology. And this is just something that I think you talk about. I don't know if you talk about in the book specifically, but it's like being able to listen to people, like really listen to what they care about. And in, in his book or in the podcast, John had mentioned that like this, the CD that somebody sent him, hang on little tomato was really important. And I ended up finding a signed copy of this CD uh, and, and sent it to him via email. And he just, he like sent me an email. He's like, dude, call me now. <laughs> and it was, it was a great, it was just, you know, it's so, it makes, it, it feels so good to be able to do that. And I'm not saying that to try to uh, really just like, like bring my status up or anything like that, but like what you teach and like really being able to give a good gift to someone, whether it's the story you're talking about Cameron Harold, like this stuff is just game changing. And that's why I wanted to like break down the secret sauce as to like how to share this. So Thank you for, for the inspiration for that and the, the, the gift that you inspired me to give to John. But let's let's yeah. dive into some of how can people start giving some of these gifts? How can people start doing it? So, um, you know, I read the book and I think that one of the one of the things that you do really well is you I mean, everybody should go read the book. Go break it. It's broken down so well. But you also give out a workbook. It's, it's at giftologysystem.com. And I am just I, when I saw this, I was blown away because, John, anybody listen to this, go to giftologysystem.com. He literally gives away like this is just abundance thinking right here because this is gold. He's literally giving away all this stuff. So if you want to dive in and go along with what we're talking about today, this is the secret. But he outlined seven steps. So I would kind of and most people would think with giftology, it's like, okay, let's jump to write what the gift is. But the gift is really like step five, really, which is like the cool thing to talk about. So let's start with. Let's start with step one. Where, where do we need to start with uh, giving these gifts out for people? Yeah, well, most people want to start with the what, right? And especially right. guys are the worst at this, but really human beings, like you go to Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or Chipotle, what do you do? You, you look at the picture and say, I want that. Because we're visual, right? We like, that's how we shop. And we tend to shop with our own eyes. Like if we like wine, what do we give as gifts? We give wine. If we like steak, what are we, where do we take people to dinner? Vegan restaurants? No, we take people to a steak dinner because that's what we like. And so most people don't understand that like the what is just the delivery vehicle. If you don't get the first five to six steps right, the what actually lands very hollow. You're not going to buy something for somebody that's making five, six, seven, eight figures that they can't go buy for themselves. That's why a lot of people write off giftology and they're like, I don't, that doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, do relationships matter to you? And of course they're like, everybody's like, oh yeah, relationships, my clients, my investors, my mentors, my employees, like everybody says they're in the relationship business. What they don't realize is that they don't have a relationship plan, then they're, you know, whether that's with their wife or husband or whether that's with their client, somebody that does have a plan is going to win. They're going to take that client. They're going to take that investor because we all like as human beings, we connect with people based upon them 
like seeing us and appreciating us and engaging us. Even billionaires are humans, right? Like we want to be engaged as a human and have a legacy and feel like people care about us because we're human. And so the core of what that system is, is the first step is who are you taking care of? Like, who is that person? Do they have an inner circle? Of course they do. They have pets or kids or assistants or teams or a spouse or whatever else. So like the who is more important than the what. So many people are like, John, like, I, I just give me, you know, 500 Bose headsets. And I'm like, no, we don't do that. You can't buy those from us because that's not, you're not thinking through strategically. And there's so many people that have pushed back. I'm like, John, I did giftology. It didn't work. And I'm like, really? Did you follow the system? Did you follow the formula, the, the recipe? And they're like, well, we did giftology-ish. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, take baking bread, for instance. Like, you could bake bread 100,000 times. But if every time you don't put yeast in, guess what you don't get? You don't get bread. You get matzah. You get, like, but you don't get bread. One little ingredient off. It's a, I tell people all the time, like, if, if, if a chef at a restaurant takes 12 hours to make this amazing lobster bisque, and at the end, as you're getting ready to bring it out to the customer, a fly flies into it. Guess what they don't care about? They don't care that you put 12 hours into it and spent, you know, that the soup is $100. Like, all they see is the fly. So if you don't get the details right of this system and understand that you're not, like the goal of when you're sending something to somebody or giving something, it has to be personalized to them. Like we don't allow logos to go on things and people push back and they're like, John, they're not going to remember it. And I'm like, if I sent you, Brandon, a Rolex, would I have to put giftology on it for you to remember where it came from? Absolutely not. <laughs> There's not a chance. No, like every time you look at your wrist, even subconsciously, what are you going to think about? You know, about, you know, about the giver because you made the, like, if I engraved like your favorite quote or your favorite, if you're a person of faith, your favorite Bible verse, or like your last name, like you make the thing about them. And what's funny is they, they then put the spotlight back on you. And so, so many people, as they're walking through the system, they cut corners, they send gifts out and they don't put the handwritten note. People are like, well, can I just type it or order it from Amazon? I'm like, the note actually provides, if you've studied the five love languages, which is like, you know, been literally, it's one of the most best-selling books of all time, 22 million copies. Gary Chapman, who wrote it, is a client and friend of mine, mentor. Like the words of affirmation part of the five love languages, like the handwritten note provides meaning, thoughtfulness, and context. If you get that wrong or write the wrong things in the note, don't expect it to land a certain way because that's what provides the element of emotional engagement. So what I would say is as you know, if you go download the system and, and the, the, you know, the blueprint, every step is important. The timing, super important. A lot of people get the timing horribly wrong. So all of the steps are, are important. The gift itself is only 50% of the impact. Mm-hmm. If you miss up on the first five or six steps, and that's where people are like, John, why do you give the recipe away for free? And I'm like, because if you want to do it for one person, like your best client or your wife or your husband or whoever, it's not hard to do. Like anybody could do this and be really good at it and blow people's minds. Like my love language isn't even gifting. My love language is words of affirmation. I'm a country boy who is an introvert, who hates speaking from stage, who now does all of those things based upon like, you know, God having a sense of humor. Anybody (laughs) can be a great... It's hard to scale thoughtfulness. If you want to do this for 25 people or 250 people, that's why our agency exists to outsource it to or to partner with. But if you want to go do this for like two people, you don't need to hire us. Go do it. Like the recipe's there. Just follow the steps, put, put the intentionality, put the budget. Don't be cheap. Don't cut corners. And you can do exactly what we do for your top relationship. It's there. But if you try to do it for 100 people and you cut corners, because you're like, I don't want to handwrite the notes. I don't want to do this. I don't want to personalize it. Then don't expect to get the 100x and 1,000x return on relationship because you're not following the steps for every single person. Yeah. So you started by answering that question by saying who you gift for is significantly more important than what you give. So we'll obviously dive into the what, because there there is lots that goes into the actual gift, obviously. But I want to zoom in and give people a little bit of a handle as to like how they should think about the who's. And one of the things that you talk about is, 
you know, when you're determining the strategy, do you want more referrals? Do you want more word of mouth? Or do you want to retain the relationships that you already have? So would you mind maybe zooming in on that a little bit more to maybe help people think more specifically about who they should start be using, who they should start using Giftology for? Yeah, well, I think that um, most people are very linear, like most people will gift prospects before they'll take care of, you know, like other people that already have worn market. And so our, our, our view is that you should understand what you're trying to accomplish and, you know, taking care of your own employees. Like a lot of people will treat their external relationships really like the Ritz Carlton and then their employees or internal get treated like the Motel 6. It doesn't work. It creates bitterness and like your employees need to be treated well if you want them to treat the external relationships well. Like you don't take care. So understanding that investing in relationships really do matter. Most people have a tendency to like, if they're going to take somebody out to dinner, they'll go to Morton's or a hotel, they'll go to the Ritz-Carlton. And then their gifts are like lame and they don't understand that they're communicating that the other person doesn't matter. So I think that if you're understanding, like let's say you have a million dollar company and you profited a hundred grand last year, you should be taking a percentage of that and reinvesting it back into your clients to keep them, retain them, or to get referrals. But the secret sauce is really what I did with Cameron, which is to get your clients and then your employees to become sales reps for you. So when I tell people that they should be reinvesting five to 15% of net profits. So if you made a hundred grand net, I don't care what your revenue is. Tell me what your net is. That means you're investing five to 15 grand not a million dollars, five to 15 grand of your hundred grand. People are like, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, what if those clients and employees went away? How much would you have? They're like, well, nothing. And I'm like, exactly. You get to keep 85 <laughs> grand. You're giving five to 15 grand back into them. And it's not an expense. That's how most people view this. They don't understand that if you invest in the relationships the right way, the next year you should make 120 grand. That means your 15 grand in a year turned into 20 grand. Like, that's not a bad return on investment, but over time, it starts to compound. Maybe the next year you do from 120 to 200. Because when you start to pour into those relationships and they realize it's not tactical, that you really are showing up for those people, you'll go from getting maybe one referral to all of a sudden you get five referrals to the point where you can't handle, like a lot of times people are reaching out saying, John, I'd like to refer you business. I'm like, we have to be really selective because I, I can't handle the amount of people that want to send us referrals because we're a smaller, relatively smaller company. And we have so many people out there advocating for us, not passively. Like people think they have loyalty because somebody sticks around as a client. That's not real retention. Real retention is when your clients are going out of their way to want to open doors for you and sell on your behalf. That's called active loyalty. And so when you're understanding that you're not just checking a box, but that you're making investments in relationships and taking care of people from a retention but really, you're trying to get them not just to retain, but to bring other people with them to cross sell and get them to upsell. All of that happens because you're being intentional about how you're investing in relationships and you actually have a plan on how you're going to do that. Yeah. Boo-hoo, John. What a problem you have. You have so many referrals. <laughs> no, I mean, it sounds weird to say, but I, I mean, was just joking. I'm just joking with you. It's a weird, I mean, I don't say that boastfully. I mean, it's, it's what happens after you love on relationships for 21 years. Yeah, for I sure. mean that's I, that's a good problem. It's a great, yeah. it's a, and I don't take it lightly. But it's true. I mean, and you talk to other people that have that same problem. They're like, I have to be really strict on, you know, how they accept referrals because they, you know, the pipeline is full. It's good. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great problem to have. I think people. That's a, it's a great thing to fight for. So absolutely love that. I wasn't meaning that in any any way. That would be hopefully offense, uh, not <laughs> offensive. But um, uh, no, I want to highlight a few it's things fair. on what you what you just said right there. Um. One, I think a misconception that you talk about a lot that I thought was so eye-opening that I wanted to highlight for people is that most people, when they think of like gifting, it's like, oh, let me get the attention of someone. Let me send something and try to open doors. But from what I've understood from Giftology, it's like 80% of the gifting is really warm market. It's the people that you already know, like, and trust, and you're developing those relationships. So that was that, that I think is just a huge eye-opener for people as well to really think about how they're treating the people in their lives. So that's thing number one. Thing number two, uh, really quickly, because you opened it up, I would love for you to tell people what you do for your employees as far as the treat that you give them for, for helping them get their, their houses cleaned a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm a big believer in you know, what I said before, which is you can't expect Ritz-Carlton service if somebody's never stayed at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. So our employees, we send them to the Four Seasons or the Ritz because one, a lot of times they've never been there. And two, like, it's just, I want them to experience and understand that like we put our money where our mouth is. Um, and I think that taking care, like 
what's interesting is the amount of companies are like, John, I could never do what you do. Even when we spoke at Google and I told him some of the benefits and perks of working at, at, at Giftology, people are like, how do you afford to do that? And I'm like, you'll hire somebody and pay them, you know, 55 to 65 grand. That's $10,000 difference. That's a delta of 10 grand between 65 and 55. And you don't, nobody ever, when they're hiring somebody, nobody even thinks twice about it. But I'm like, imagine if you took that $10,000 and invested it into your relationships, your employees, in ways like nobody brags about their 401k. Nobody's bragging about their health insurance, even though as a business owner, it costs us a lot of money to do that. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you like, like one of the things we do is we pay every employee. They can't take the cash. We pay to have their houses cleaned every other week. They all, they, and people are like, how much does that cost? I'm like, it's cost two to three grand a year per employee. And they're like, does it work? And I'm like, we have people that are, is a waiting list to come work at Giftology. Even when I spoke at Google, they're like, hey, does Giftology hire part-time? And I'm like, at Google? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> but the thing is, is that a lot of companies don't necessarily think about the working from the other, like they'll do anything to keep you working with coffee and on-site eating. And, but how do they make your life better at home? Like we'll pay for people to, you know, to go to marriage like retreats and people are like, why would you pay for that? And I'm like, because if an employee goes through a divorce, it costs you a lot as an, a leader, as an employer, like just selfishly, but also as a like relationship, like I care, I want my employees' lives to be good, to be well, not just for giftology, but for themselves. And, and so like thinking through, like even during the pandemic, we started off, we started to realize all of our employees are like now homeschooling and doing crazy stuff. Like they're stressed, their spouses are stressed. We started to offer to pay for our employees to get um, the same mattress that I sleep on because I'm like, that, I want them to sleep well. They're not going to go spend money on a high-end mattress. So we started to say, hey, we have this partnership with IntelliBed. We'll send you a, one of these mattresses if you'd like. And it's like a $5,000 mattress. They're like, five grand. I'm like, do you understand that like when you hire an employee or have a higher recruiting firm, like you'll pay 20% of their salary, 30% of their salary. How about you just love on your employees that you currently have and get them inspired to go recruit their family and friends and have a story worth telling. Nobody says, oh my gosh, I got health insurance. But you send $5,000 mattresses to your employees, guess what? They're bringing it up at every conversation that they can because they would never go do that for themselves. And their life is better eight hours or six hours a day for the next 20 years. Even if they leave, I want my employees to be talking well of me and the company. And so investing internally at the same level that you do externally and even taking care of things like your suppliers at the same level. Like I learned that from an $800 million company out of Utah, OC Tanner. I found out they were buying gifts and buying dinners when Rolex came to town and they bought more Rolexes than anybody else in the country. Like, why would you do that? They're like, we don't have a business without Rolex and our suppliers. We value them just the same way we value a client. And I'm like, wow, that's deep. Treat your suppliers who you spend millions of dollars with the same level as a client. And guess what? Guess who gets the best service, the best products running through walls when there's an issue? At the end of the day, supplier, employee, client, guess what? They're all just human beings. Mm -hmm. And when you do things you know, for those groups versus just going after new blood. And I love whale hunting as much as anybody, but if you take care of the warm market really, really well and do things not out of desperation, most people like when a client's leaving, they'll do anything to keep them versus why not investing those people before they're ready to leave and invest in people the same level as you would as a whale. That's a prospect. That's already a current client. And that client will then go recruit a whale to come on, you know, to come on board. Like that's how we think. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to highlight too, another thing about that bed gift. I mean, it falls in alignment with kind of the stuff that you teach for, for how to give the right gifts. But one of the things that specifically targets as well is most likely that's including the inner circle, right? Like the spouse gets an incredible night of sleep as well. And they're talking about it. So that's a, that's a perfect segue. I'd love to talk a little bit more about what you like to think about when you give gifts. And maybe if you want to start by talking a little bit more about that inner circle and the importance of gifting for that. Yeah, I mean, 80% of the, the gifting that we do is inner circle focused. People are like, I want to take care of the employee, the client, the investor. And I'm like, those people that are affluent get treated like kings all the time. Like when I travel, I get treated like a king. First class, business class, private, you know, stay at the nice hotel, nicest food. Guess who doesn't get treated really well? My wife, my employees, my kids. Now, because they get the worst side of being in business, right? So to me, and I learned this from Paul, my original mentor, like, 
When you can invest in the family, when you can invest in the assistant, who oftentimes is treated like the gatekeepers, treated like a pawn, when you can take care of the people around the people, now you end up getting to be the hero to the person. Because if, if somebody wants to get to me and then like they find out I like bourbon, they'll send me like, you know, a bottle maker's mark or something. I'm like, that's great. But like, you want to get on my radar, like Pappy, like my tastes are expensive. But if you get something to my dog or to my kids or to my assistants and make me the hero to them, you could spend, you know, instead of having to spend 10 grand, you could spend a grand or wait one tenth the amount of money. And so a lot of the things that we do take care of the people around the people because they're oftentimes neglected. They're not included in the boondoggles to Pebble Beach or the Masters or the Super Bowl. They're forgotten about. And so I would, I'd rather take care and highlight and love on those relationships and help our clients do the same thing because they, that's how you spend one-tenth the amount of the publicly traded company and you get a hundred times more impact is by taking care of that inner circle. Paul did it naturally, my original mentor. He treated the janitor and the receptionist with the same level of respect as the CEO. And I saw that everybody spoke well of Paul because he just, he loved on people. He took care of people. And when you can do that, not just with your respect, but with your time and your dollars and your investment, game over. Like the amount of stories and things that I'll be talking about, even with your employees, like when you, when you want your spouses of your employees to be saying, not like, oh, I hate that company. They're always like taking from you. I want them to say like, when they have a bad, when they, when their spouse has a bad day at work, I want them to say, do you not realize how great your CEO or the company is? Like you want people to go into bat for you and you want the spouses to go to bat for you because we all have bad days and times where we're thinking about leaving a company or whatever else. Like even from a selfish perspective, it's great. It just makes business sense to take care of the people around the people because that's one of the most underutilized areas in relationship building. Yeah. Okay. So inner circle that, that is so, so powerful. There are a few other things that I want to tap into here because that I thought are just massive for people. Let's talk about best in class. Cause I think that that is something that is so, so critical. And I think I came across an example that you shared, like the difference between gifting a $500 watch versus a $100 luggage tag. <laughs> so maybe yeah. that's not the example you want to use, but we'd love, love to hear about your insights for gifting best in class. Yeah. Well, here, here's an, I mean, like one of the clients reached out and said, John, we want to gift Tony Robbins. And, I, and they're like, what do we give Tony Robbins? Well, Tony has 10 houses, you know, 20 companies. Like, what do you give him? I'm like, hey, we're going to do knives. He's like, really? We're going to send knives to Tony Robbins and some of our, like, you know, billion-dollar type clients? And I said, yeah. And I said, here's why. You know, like, A, it's not about the knife. But B, like, most people, what do they have? They have the set that they got when they got married, Bed Bath & Beyond, or Nordstrom, or whatever else. Like, most people have an average level of, of cutlery. It's the reason we still do a lot of business with it, but we're going to go best in class. So we ordered the Cutco knife set. The big thing was that we engraved every all 40 of the knives with a quote of wisdom that Tony had spoken over 40 years. We put it inside a $3,000 wood box. Part of it was the overall best in class presentation. There was a video screen built in. It was crazy. But the big thing with best in class is, is that most people will say, instead of spending like eight grand on the knife set and the whatever else, they'll spend 12 grand, you know, on a watch. Well, this is say you got a $12,000 Breitling, but Tony's wearing a Patek Philippe that's 50 grand. You think your $12,000 whatever is amazing versus the $50,000 whatever. Like most people will go best in class or will give a gift that they think is cool and expensive what they don't realize is they didn't give a better gift than what that person currently has. So the, a, a more mainstream example would be like, hey, I want to give a, a watch and they give a $500 Seiko and they're super proud of it. Meanwhile, the most people that are giving it to have a $10,000 Rolex on their wrist. Are they going to take this, their Rolex off and put a Seiko on? Hell no. It's never happening. <laughs> Whereas if you took a different category, like a luggage tag where most people have, it's, even a nice luggage tag is 10 bucks but you give like this handmade one that's $100, you could save yourself $400. Instead of buying the $500 Seiko, spend $100 on a luggage tag, have it be the nicest luggage tag anybody's ever seen. And people will be like, I would never buy this for myself, but I'm really glad the client thought to send it to me. And what do they do? They use it. They put it on their luggage. And every time they see it subconsciously, they think of the person. They're top of mind and top of heart because they gave them something that's practical, that's useful, that's, way, that's better than anything that they've ever seen. And so when you're shopping for gifts, 
If you can't afford to do best in class in a particular category, like a watch, go to a different category. That's why like a $200 knife is better than a, you know, $20, whatever, or a $2,000, whatever, because it, I went best in class in a category where most people don't have it. And so that's where like, it doesn't matter what you're giving. If you're going to give a journal, like don't give the $20 one that everybody gives from China with a logo on it. Give the $150 one that's handmade with somebody's favorite quote or scripture verse or their family name or something that's meaningful to them. Most people aren't going to go out and spend $150 on a journal. But if they got one, they'd sure love to use it. And so that's where so many people, like the mug is a great example. I used to make fun of the mugs as the worst gift on the planet. People, you know, pay five to 10 bucks and slam their logo on it. Like you can only drink out of one mug and most people's cupboards are filled with crap. Then this artist made me a, like a $1,500 mug. And the reason it costs 1500 bucks, and I still talk about it to this day, is it tells my whole life story. It takes like four weeks to make. It's called an artifact mug. I've gifted out now, you know, 140 of them probably in the last two years. Friends, family, employees, investors, people like 1500 bucks, 1000 bucks, whatever for a mug. And I'm like, I have billionaires, billionaires. I gave one from a stage in Orange County last fall. Literally, there was five billionaires in the audience. I surprised one of the guys with one and he cried. A billionaire cried over a mug. Why? Because it told his whole life story, his faith, his family, his dad who just passed away. Like it, even billionaires, when you go best in class in a category, people came up and like, we've never even seen anything like this before. It was a functional piece of art. Like, you, you know, every day, this guy's now drinking his coffee or tea and being reminded of me and the relationship and the people who help pour into this gift and being reminded of what matters in his life. And so best in class seems like a silly, like who cares? But if you get that one detail wrong and give somebody like this middle of the road, mediocre thing, and they already have something better version, they're not never going to use it because that's as human beings, we, oftentimes we just want one that's best. Yeah. And, and most people get that totally wrong. Yeah. And you know, they have, 30 mugs, but that's the one they're drinking from every single freaking day. They will clear everything out. They'll wash the one, <laughs> the one mug over and over and use it. That, that's awesome. That, that ties into another one of your elements, which is practical and you've highlighted it, but I, I want to share specifically, maybe talk a little bit about this and like how impressions matter when thinking about gifts. So would you mind sharing uh, why practical gifts are so important specifically? Well, well, think about during the last 18 months during the, you know, the pandemic and all the craziness, people were at home and looking at all this crap, all this stuff. And most people have too much stuff. That's why people push back and be like, John, the gifts don't matter. I'm like, no, we, nobody needs more stuff, but we all have room for an artifact. When, you know, like when you think about if your house is on fire, there's certain things you're going to grab. And it's usually not necessarily the most expensive things. It's things that have meaning and story, but we don't need more things to dust on our shelves. And that's what most people give, like a paperweight or a what, you know, picture or whatever, like, and it doesn't have story or meaning. And it doesn't have usefulness. Like if I give something to somebody, I want them, you know, like the luggage tag is a great example. It's practical, it's useful, and it's best in class. And so I like functional gifts. When you give something to somebody that they're actually going to use every single day, whether it's a watch or whatever else, or a journal, or, you know, the reason I love the knives or like we, we just partnered with this high-end cookware company and people are like cookware. I'm like, most people eat every day. They entertain, they host their foodies, they have families. Like I want something that people are going to use most people give like, oh, I want to give a bottle of wine that's $500 or $200 or whatever. And I'm like, you give that to them, even if they love the wine, you, they drink it. How many impressions did you get? As a business owner, I want to invest a dollar and get $100 back out right over time. I want my impression, the amount of times that they think of me to be really cheap. You know, like if you're buying a billboard, you want as many people to see that billboard as possible for as little cost as possible. But you spend $200 on a bottle of wine. You're like, John, that's way cheaper than your $2,000 knife set. And I'm like, not long-term, it's not. Because that bottle of wine gets consumed. They, you got one thought out of it. Whereas, you know, the knife set, if they get used once a day at a minimum, you know, for the next 10 years, that's 3,600 impressions that I got. You got one impression for $200. I got 3,600 for two grand. Who wins? In the long game, my clients dominate the competition because in year three and year five and year seven, the person's still thinking positive thoughts and telling stories and referring business because 
you're engaging them and their cost per impression super low. So I love things that are functional, practical, that last longer than five minutes or five days or five months. I want, I literally have clients that I could text. I haven't talked to them in eight years. You know, they went off and did something else or whatever. They're another company. And they'll be like, they'll respond quickly. Why? It was because they've been using the artifacts on a day-to-day basis. And I'm top of mind and top of heart with those people because I, I own a piece of real estate on their countertop or in their cabinet or like nobody can, like somebody might be able to spend more money than me, but nobody's going to control the heart and the mindset and, and that real estate like we do because we're thinking about that functionality. Yeah. Man, so if you're listening to this right now and you're frantically scribbling notes or you're in a gym and you're like, damn, why am I on a treadmill right now? Because I can't take any of this. You can go to giftologysystem.com and grab all even more detail than we can even possibly cover today. But just a high level recap, best in class, practical, personalized, including the inner circle. And if you want more tips, you can go and find that stuff. Uh, more more tips out as well. So I know we're kind of coming up on time here, John, but there are a few other things that I want to highlight um, that I think are going to really help people set people apart if they want to start using this stuff. And you alluded to it previously, but uh, one of the important things is not only the gift, but the timing of the gift. And so you talk about not being an ABC gifter. Uh, so maybe we'd love for you to talk a little bit about what it means to be an ABC gifter and how to time gifts appropriately. Yeah. Well, I think most people say they're, you know, like if you ask somebody, are they in the relationship business or transaction business? Everybody, even if they're selling toilet papers, like, oh, I'm all about relationships. (laughs) And yet you talk to them and say, hey, when do you show appreciation? They're like, oh, on anniversaries or on birthdays or on Christmas. And I'm like, even with your spouse, like if you're married, like I've been married, you know, almost 12 years. If I show up on Valentine's Day with flowers, do I earn any brownie points? No, like that's table stakes. (laughs) And like, but if I show up on random Tuesdays with flowers, do I earn brownie points? Yeah, 100x. Well, clients are the same way. If you only do gifts on Christmas, everybody does gifts at Christmas. If you only do gifts at, on somebody's birthday, they're already having getting 50 gifts. So we say no ABC gifting is you should be showing up for your clients, your employees, your suppliers, not because it's your birthday or because it's your anniversary. They don't care that you've been in business 20 years. You show up for those same relationships as a just because I was thinking of you. That's how I can take the same silly knife set or watch or whatever. If I send it out to 10,000 people, not because I'm asking for a referral, not because I got a referral, not because I got a deal, not because it's Christmas. It's a random, like we pick four times a year that are random times. I call planned randomness to show up for people as a just because I was thinking of you. When they get it, they're like, I didn't do anything. It's not my birthday. It's not, I haven't been here. Like I haven't been here five years or 10 years at the company. You know, like, why did you give me this? And they read the handwritten note and they're like, wow, the, the, the client or the person just sent me this just because, just because they were thinking of me and my family. You want to melt somebody's face off. You want to get a hundred X referrals. You want to get like a thousand X return on relationship. The timing is just as important as what you're sending. We don't allow our clients when they're hiring us they're like, hey, we want to send a gift on December 5th. I'm like, you can't hire us. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we don't allow our clients to send gifts between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the conference tables of every company in America and worldwide is ready to collapse from all the candy, nuts, chocolates, wine, gift cards, all the crap. You're one of a, like, do you want to be like a part of the red like ocean? Like of people all trying to fight for this attention when people are eating and drinking themselves to death at the holidays? Frick no. I want to show up in the middle of March and be the only thing that they received from my clients, my employees, my suppliers. And, and, and then same thing with referrals. People are like, John, I want to hire you to do all referral gifts. And I'm like, somebody gives you a $100,000 referral. You think you're generous sending them a $500 gift card. What did you just turn that relationship into? A tit for tat, a transactional. You do this, here you get this. They're thinking, man, that person just made hundred grand. They're kind of cheap for sending me a $500 bottle of wine. Versus if you sent the gift to your top relationships, your centers of influence, your referral sources, not because they did anything for you, you sent it to them just because. Guess what you'd get 10 times more, refer- more of? Referrals. Because you're pouring on the love, not asking for anything. And guess what? As human beings, whether you believe in God or not, like we're wired for reciprocity. It's tribal. It's in us. When somebody does something nice for us and then something nice for us, and then that's something nice for us. Guess what we want to do? We want to reciprocate back. 
But if you tied it to the referral, you ruined it. You turned it into a tit for tat versus loving on people as they just because. It's why Vaynerchuk and these guys are so, you know, um, popular and amazing. They're showing up as a surprise and delight for people versus at expected times. Timing matters so, so much. And so many people get this wrong. Yeah. Is it true that you, you gift people like that, like a, per, a prospective client that maybe you didn't land it, you gift them as well? Do you have like a rule for that or how you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you're talking like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, if you're going after like Jeffrey Gittimer, I sent, you know, I wanted to get his attention. He was a prospect. This is probably 15 years ago. I built him like a $4,000 knife set. I built, I sent him 18 gifts in a row to build the whole set over the course of 18 months. I also will sometimes, even if we lose a, a deal or an RFP or something, I'll send a gift to somebody and say, hey, thanks. You gave me five hours of your time to even engage. And people are like, you send a gift to people you don't land as clients? And I'm like, if they gave you five hours of their time, what was that five hours worth or that 50 yeah. hours or that two hours or even like somebody spends an hour on the phone with you and they're the CEO of a big company, their time's probably worth tens of thousands of dollars an hour. You send them a $500 gift or a thousand dollar gift just to say, thank you for even considering us. Mm-hmm. What does that do? It shows class. It's way different than what's normal. And it's a, just the right thing to do. It's acknowledging the fact that they even gave you a shot. They even took your phone call. They even took your meeting. Now you're not asking for anything. You're literally saying, you gave me your time. You could have spent that with your kids, your family, your business, and you gave it to me or my team. And guess what? If things go sideways with the other vendor or two years from now, things don't work out or they're thinking about re-upping or shopping, who are they going to think about? The person who was super classy, attention to detail, and even when they didn't win the deal, still said thank you. Yeah. Shifts everything by, you know, like people talk about gratitude and these different things, but most people feel gratitude and gratitude is an action. Like it's taking action and putting your money and your time where your mouth is. Not just feeling it, it's going and put it in. And if you do that consistently over time, people start to realize like, holy crap, this is not tactical for this leader, this VP of sales, this entrepreneur. Like this is just who they are. And word starts to spread. And, and, and that's where you develop the reputation. When you're not in the room, people are talking about you in a certain way based upon how you show up for people. And, and you show up more uncommon, like there'll be more uncommon things that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah, this was from your book, but I wouldn't get this to this in the fundamentals, but you mentioned how time is the most precious commodity someone can give. I think if I remember reading it correctly, you're like, I'll pound my fist on the desk. <laughs> Make sure you remember this, that time is the most precious commodity. And if you like reward people with that, um, like even in times where they weren't, aren't expecting it, like that's just so beautiful. So John, I know uh, we wanted to end at the top of the hour here. So we're wrapping up and I want to be respectful of your time because you're giving it to us today, which we are all so, so grateful for. Um, but the question that I've been asking guests uh, before we get to where we can find out more about all your stuff is what does happiness mean to you today, John, after all of your years of making, giving happiness to so many people, what does it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that uh, I'll steal Warren Buffett's answer. I think in my head, I always think the people that are closest to me, I want them to love and respect me the most. When you have the people, you know, it's great to have a following. It's great to have all this external stuff. But, but you know, for me, I'm the happiest when I'm with my, my wife, my girls, my close friends. And when I'm able to, you know, to go do the things I want to do and have the freedom to go do it. And so yeah. for me, I just got back from the Grand Canyon and spending, you know, 10 days with with my wife and my four little girls making memories, doing hikes and doing crazy things. Um, that to me is when I'm the happiest. I'm able to, uh, to choose what I want to do with the people I want to do it. And that, you know, they're loving me not because of the accolades or anything else. They're loving me based upon, you know, the, uh, the relationship that we have. Beautiful, man. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, uh, where can people find out more? I know we've talked about giftologysystem.com. Highly recommend with a million more highlies, go read giftology. You can find it on Amazon anywhere else. Um, yeah, I mean, you just Google it. You'll find it, but where else can people find out more about your stuff, John? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the giftology system is a great place to start. Giftology group is, the, is our core website. And if they want to follow us on social media, at John Rulin on Instagram is probably where we post the uh, the most fun and uh, you know kind of tips and tricks and some of the things that we're doing behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, but those are the best places to go. Awesome. And I, I've, I said it already, but I will say it one more time. If you're listening and you want the full system, like John, John really like this seven steps, I was blown away when I opened this. I was like, this was free. This is, this is incredible. So go check out Giftology System. If you've been filling in the notes and you want to get even more detail than what we talked about today, go check that out. Um, but I just wanted to say 
really quickly to you listening right now. If this is your very, very, very first episode and you chose, you could be anywhere else in the world right now, but you decided to listen to this episode with me and John today. I am so grateful that you're here. And if you're returning again, I'm so grateful that you're here listening every single week. You're absolutely what makes this possible, but whether you're new or returning, if you've been listening and you've heard some of the crazy stories that John has shared, whether it was gifting to Cameron Harold or how he proposed to his wife or how to, how to give these gifts that can make people's uh, lives so much better. And you, you were resonating with that. Please share this with a friend. It's not only going to help John, it's going to help the show grow and everybody's going to be happy. So all that said, John, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute blast and I look forward to continuing the conversation, my friend. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show, and if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.